probably noticed, I hope you noticed, that we have some different lights that are up here above this sanctuary today. And uh, we spent some time putting those up last week, and they're for a very important purpose, because the theme of Advent, really, this year, is light. And uh, what we're going to celebrate this week is that 160 Operation Christmas Child shoeboxes were collected here at ZPC. So you did that. You uh, filled those and collected those, plus another 54 boxes that a ZPCer took um, as part of his staff at a local school, and kids from those local school uh, filled those up. So well over 200 shoeboxes. And so they represent some of the lights that we're being a light at, um, at Christmas time. So each week we're going to have an Advent reading, which is going to be about light, and we're going to talk about how we uh, can be a light to the world for Christ every Sunday here um, in Advent. Well, we are talking about Daniel in the lion's den, and we want to read it from Scripture. And it's kind of a long one this morning, Daniel 6, verses 1 through 23. And I'll read that if you can, uh, can uh, listen. This is God's Word. It pleased Darius to appoint 120 satraps to rule throughout the kingdom, with three administrators over them, one of whom was Daniel. The satraps were made accountable to them so that the king might not suffer loss. Now Daniel so distinguished himself among the administrators and the satraps by his exceptional qualities that the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. At this, the administrators and the satraps tried to find grounds for charges against Daniel in his conduct of government affairs, but they were unable to do so. They could find no corruption in him because he was trustworthy and neither corrupt nor negligent. Finally, these men said, we will never find any basis for charges against this man, Daniel, unless it has something to do with the law of his God. So these administrators and satraps went as a group to the king and said, may King Darius live forever. The royal administrators, prefects, satraps, advisors, and governors have all agreed that the king should issue an edict and enforce the decree that anyone who prays to any god or human being during the next 30 days, except to you, your majesty, shall be thrown into the lion's den. Now, your majesty, issue the decree and put it in writing so that it cannot be altered in accordance with the law of the Medes and the Persians, which cannot be repealed. So King Darius put the decree in writing. Now, when Daniel learned that the decree had been published, he went home to his upstairs room where the windows opened toward Jerusalem. Three times a day, he got down on his knees and prayed, giving thanks to his God just as he had done before. Then these men went as a group and found Daniel praying and asking God for help. So they went to the king and spoke to him about his royal decree. Did you not publish a decree that during the next 30 days... Anyone who prays to any god or human being except to you, your majesty, would be thrown into the lion's den. The king answered, The decree stands in accordance with the law of the Medes and the Persians, which cannot be repealed. Then they said to the king, Daniel, who was one of the exiles from Judah, pays no attention to you, your majesty, or to the decree you put in writing. He still prays three times a day. When the king heard this, he was greatly distressed, 
he was determined to rescue Daniel and made every effort until sundown to save him. Then the men went as a group to King Darius and said to him, Remember, your majesty, that according to the law of the Medes and Persians, no decree or edict that the king issues can be changed. So the king gave the order, and they brought Daniel and threw him into the lion's den. The king said to Daniel, May your God, whom you serve continually, rescue you. A stone was brought and placed over the mouth of the den, and the king sealed it with his own signet ring and went the rings of his nobles so that Daniel's situation might not be changed. Then the king returned to his palace and spent the night without eating and without any entertainment being brought to him, and he could not sleep. At the first light of dawn, the king caught up, got up and hurried to the lion's den. When he came near the den, he called to Daniel in an anguished voice, Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God, whom you serve continually, been able to rescue you from the lions? Daniel answered, may the king live forever. My God sent his angel, and he shut the mouths of the lions. They have not hurt me because I was found innocent in his sight. Nor have I ever done any wrong before you, your majesty. The king was overjoyed and gave orders to lift Daniel out of the den. And when Daniel was lifted from the den, no wound was found on him because he had trusted in his God. Let's pray. Well, Lord, we ask that you bless this word. It is your word that it may teach us and inspire us. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, this, this is certainly one of those uh, famous passages in the Old Testament in the Bible, which fits well in a, king's, in a, in a kid's Bible. We know that uh, lines are scary. We know that Daniel's a good guy. We know the story is dramatic, um, and it's worth studying. It's worth getting below the surface a little bit as well. If we do a character study, though, of kind of the three main sets of characters, I think we'll see uh, what God wants us to learn, at least part of what God wants us to learn for this. And it is kind of a drama that's going on in the capital, not our nation's capital, but in the capital of Persia. So, our three main sets of characters are Darius the king, the royal governors under Darius, and our hero Daniel. And there's some notes today in your bulletin, they'll be here on the screen as well, that talk about what we're going to learn. We're going to learn that character on the inside is really seen on the outside. It might seem obvious, but I think it's good to remind ourselves again that character on the inside um, can be seen on the outside. What about King Darius? King Darius is the ultimate authority. He does agree to be prayed to uh, by the subjects of his land, but he loves Daniel. He is the ultimate authority. He is tricked by his governors. You saw that in the video, and it's in the scripture. He is tricked by his governors, his satraps, they're called, into a decree which he signs that says for 30 days, anyone who prays to anyone except him must be thrown into the lion's den. So we look at his character. He is the kind of person, the kind of king who agrees to be prayed to, so we know about that. But we believe as we look closer that his character is not all bad because he thinks so highly of Daniel coming even from a foreign land who's been there for many years, that he is considered Daniel the best and most honorable of all the governors or the ministers 
And Darius has planned to make him the prime minister, if you will, the prime minister over all of Persia and to set him over all the kingdom. Then later we see how much he loves Daniel. When Daniel is thrown into the lion's den, it even says that uh, Darius agonizes over it. But in this, in this Persian culture, once a law was made, once even the king made the decree, it says, it said three times in the, in the scripture that the decree could not be changed. And so even though Darius felt terrible about the situation and he wanted to find a way to rescue Daniel, he followed the law. And he even says to Daniel, may your God whom you worship rescue you. Darius couldn't even eat and sleep that night, and early the next morning, he hurries to the lion's den to find out what happens to Daniel. So the king is a worldly king, but he certainly knows character when he sees it, character on the inside coming through on the outside. And we'll hear more about Darius um, in a few minutes. Well, what about these guys, really the, uh, the bad guys in the stories? The royal governors, we'll call them. They're called satraps, but they're really governors or advisors. <clears throat> they are jealous, dishonest, and devious. In fact, you know, in this short passage, there's nothing good we can say about these guys. We know they're jealous. They don't want Daniel, who comes from a foreign land, to be over them. They scheme how to stop him. It says they're looking for ways. They're looking for ways to get him to stop him, and yet they can find nothing. They are dishonest. They say to the governors, they say that the governors and all the advisors have all agreed to issue this decree, and yet we're sure that Daniel didn't agree to this. It says later he didn't know anything about it, and he was the top advisor. So they're lying to the king. They're plotting, they're scheming, they're lying and they're willing to sacrifice someone else to get what they want, to get the position that they want. Which brings us to Daniel. Daniel, who is trustworthy. It says he's neither corrupt nor negligent. He is disciplined. He is faithful and humble. <clears throat> Let's read again in verses 3 through 5 what it says about Daniel very specifically. Daniel so distinguished himself among the administrators and the satraps by his exceptional qualities that the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. At this, the administrators and the satraps tried to find grounds for charges against Daniel in his conduct of the government affairs, but they were unable to do so. They could find no corruption in him because he was trustworthy and neither corrupt nor negligent. Finally, these men said, we'll never find any basis for charges against this man, Daniel, unless it has something to do with the law of his God. So Daniel, just in these short few verses, it says he had exceptional qualities for the job that he was called to do to lead the government. There were no grounds for any charges against him. He had no corruption, not even any negligence of the job. And there was no basis for any charge unless it had to do with his faith with God. It says so much about his character on the inside that even his enemies could see it on the outside, his character. Now, I used to imagine, it was kind of in the, in the video, if you watch carefully, that Daniel was a young guy, you know, this young 
great guy who was leading the government at this time and at the time when he was thrown into the lion's den. And I, I probably even imagine when I didn't read very closely, you know, that, that I knew that God saved him from the lion's den. But you wondered if he's a strong, tough guy, that maybe there was something he could have done to fight off the lions if he had to. In fact, earlier in the book of Daniel, in Daniel chapter 1, it says that Daniel was one of the foreigners from Israel who were exiled in Babylon or Persia. He was one of the young men without any physical defect, handsome, showing aptitude for every kind of learning, well-informed, quick to understand, and qualified to serve in the king's palace. He was to teach them the language and literature of the Babylonians. So Daniel was all those things as a young man, and that's probably why I thought that about him. He was this young guy who everyone looked up to. But last week, as I was looking at some commentaries reading about this specific passage, is the whole book of Daniel, even though I think it's 13 chapters, is really about his whole life. And so when we get to chapter 6, commentators say that he was over 80 years old, and so he had served under a different king as a young man. In fact, he probably served under several kings in his lifetime. And now under King Darius, he's over 80 years old. He's in the twilight of his career. He's kind of a respected elder statesman at this time. And so when I read this and was thinking about this last week, I thought of one of my modern heroes who I think kind of as an elder statesman in some ways, uh, Billy Graham. And uh, Billy Graham's truly one of my heroes. I've probably said that before. I love Billy Graham. In fact, we named our son Graham after Billy Graham, so no pressure, you know, no pressure on him. But just in fairness, we named our other three kids um, after people as well, Luke and Jacob after Bible characters, and our daughter Lexia after a missionary. So no pressure on them either, you know, so uh, that's on our kids. But I love Billy Graham, even though now, uh, I looked up this week, he's 96 years old and in the twilight of his life. And I will say, you know, we're not supposed to have idols. Um, I will say pretty close to hero worship of Billy Graham, especially in the spring and summer of 1999. I don't know if, if you remember that, if you lived in Indianapolis at the time. There was a Billy Graham crusade here in the RCA Dome at that time in 1999. And I volunteered and was asked to serve on one of the committees that helped to uh, plan one of the nights of the crusade. I didn't get to meet Billy Graham, but I was so excited to be on this committee, and I was talking about it all the time. I was talking about Billy Graham all the time, even to one of my best friends. And finally, I think my best friend was fed up with me talking about Billy Graham. He goes, Scott, he's just a man. He's just a man. No, 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 I think he's more than a man. Okay, he's less than Jesus, but I think he's more than a man. Scott, he's just a man a man. He's just Billy Graham. And so I'm thinking, you know, he's shared the gospel personally with more people than any other human that has walked on the earth. That can be documented. You know, he's, he's advised for a person who loves history like me. You know, he's, he's advised or met or prayed with every president since Harry Truman and Dwight Eisenhower. But, uh, and he's a great guy. And yet, he is truly just a man. As I've read more and studied about Billy Graham, I found some other things about Billy Graham. As a young man in 1949, so you think back, way back when, just after World War II, he doubted his faith. In fact, really had serious doubts about his belief in Scripture and about his own faith. A very intelligent friend of his named Charles Templeton had really rejected the Bible and said it could no longer be trusted. And he was making fun of his friend Billy Graham for teaching the Bible 
and still believing in it. And so Billy started doubting the, the validity of the Bible himself. He went to a camp in Southern California called Forest Home, where actually went up into the mountains and in the woods, and he prayed to God um, seriously about the questions and the doubts that he had. And so the story is told when I looked it up this week that at that time up in the woods that he fell to his knees finally and he felt the Holy Spirit in him and he said, Father, I'm going to accept this and he held a Bible as thy word by faith. I'm going to allow faith to go beyond my intellectual questions and doubts and I will believe this to be your inspired word. So he made a choice by faith to believe that the Bible was truly God's word. God's word. So like Daniel, in his, humil- in his humility, Billy Graham had fallen to his knees and prayed. He obeyed God despite doubts in himself and even some doubts he had about the scripture. He chose to have faith. And just weeks later than that, so he was in Southern California, he had a crusade in Los Angeles where thousands came to faith in Jesus Christ And Billy Graham's crusade ministry really took off after that. Well, fast forward to recent times. Not that many years ago, Billy Graham was asked by a reporter what he thought he would hear when he met God in heaven, when he went to heaven. And he said humbly, well, I would like to hear, well done, good and faithful servant, but I don't think I will. He knew he was an imperfect sinner like everyone else. And we too know that Billy Graham is just a man. So I didn't like to really hear it that Billy Graham is just a man, but I accept it. It's true. And we know that Daniel was just a man as well, that we are just people, um, sinners saved by God with our own flaws and limitations like Billy Graham had, like I'm sure that Daniel had, that have our own limitations. And yet we also have gifts and abilities and we're put in places where we can serve God and be a light for Christ. Back to Daniel. I read a commentator named Walter Luthi who tells this about Daniel in this passage. He said, here in this palace where Daniel has already climbed so high, where he can climb no higher, a miracle happens. Daniel remains what he is. He is a child of God, not the Persian or Babylonian gods, but his God. While serving the king, King Darius, he remains a subject of the king of kings, before whom he bows his knee three times a day. So for us, we too are to remain who we are as we go about our normal days, our normal weeks, with our flaws and limitations, just being the people who we are. We are to remain children of our king, the king of kings and the prince of peace. And we are called to use our gifts, our abilities, in the places where we are, as Daniel was in the place where he was to bring glory to God. So in the last couple of weeks, we've looked at Daniel. And if we go back a couple of weeks, David. Daniel was an older, respected man who prays to God, it says, on his knees three times a day. David was a young boy, not respected at the time, but great confidence in faith in God that he could defeat Goliath. In fact, David used five smooth stones. We talked about those were ordinary stones found in a creek there where David was. But God used those stones through David to show that God was extraordinary. 
David was who he was. He was a good shepherd using a slingshot, which was one of his gifts and the things that he had, who really trusted and believed God that God would save him, and God did. With Daniel, we see him just being who he is. He's just faithful to God again and again. And even at the moment of crisis, when he knows that he's putting his life on the line just to merely to bow down and pray, he bows down and prays to his God again. He is who he is, and he's faithful in the moment of crisis. You don't have to be David or Daniel or Billy Graham. You don't have to be famous like the Bible characters are famous in the world. You don't have to be a hero. It doesn't matter if you're young like David, you're, you're old like Daniel. It doesn't hold us back from being who we are. It doesn't hold us back for being a light from God. It doesn't hold us back from who we are as ordinary people to be used by God in ordinary ways. A couple of weeks ago, you were handed out rocks, and we told you that you would see some of those again on the screens here if you wrote on those rocks as you left the worship area and uh, about how God might use an ordinary part of you. And so we're going to look at a few of those again now. Right now, we're going to see those. So these are some of the things that you wrote that are ordinary parts of you. You have hospitality. Some of the kids, I think, wrote they can play and go to school. I think that says ride airplanes. I can talk and talk and talk. I like that. Loving children, listening and pray. From the Deck family, you can tell that. Listen, I'm a mom. And I think from the two of the girls, I can cut and I like to color, which is great. So the things they can do. Baking, to draw, and swim. I can garden. All kinds of different things about hospitality, normal things like coaching and snow shoveling. To quilt, writing, to listen and speak, smiling. Those are some of the things that we wrote, that you wrote, um, that are ordinary about you, but God can use your ordinary things on those smooth stones to show that he is an extraordinary God. So God can use David, God can use Daniel, God can use me, and God can use you. Well, how does this drama end? How does it end? Well, we're going to race to the end here. We read it before, but Darius um, is willing to change. We're going to see that in a moment. The governors are judge, judged. Daniel is rescued. He is a light in the darkness, and God is praised. So Darius, in his love for Daniel, at the end of the story, he hurries to the lion's den, and he sees that Daniel is saved. He's been rescued by God. And Darius says this, Daniel, servant of the living God, he's, he recognizes who God is, Servant of the living God, has your God, whom you serve continually, been able to rescue you from the lions? And Daniel answered, he answers again, in humility in his role as one of the governor's advisors to the king, he says, may the king live forever. My God sent his angel and he shut the mouths of the lions. They have not hurt me because I was found innocent in his sight. Nor have I ever done any wrong before you, your majesty. Daniel is rescued by God, and Darius realizes the other governors were manipulating the law and scheming to trick him. The consequences of their actions is that they are thrown into the lion's den instead. Now, Daniel, in a culture where 
his God was not known very well, God is now known and seen. Daniel was faithful, and God gets the credit and the praise because we see what Darius says in the last two verses of this chapter. Darius, the king of Babylon and Persia, says this, I issue a decree that in every part of the kingdom, people must fear and revere the God of Daniel, for he is the living God. He endures forever. His kingdom will not be destroyed. His dominion will never end. He rescues and saves. He performs signs and wonders in the heavens and on the earth. He has rescued Daniel from the power of the, li- of the lions. Basically, Darius said this, God is alive, God is eternal, and God saves. Darius really gets it, who's, Daniel, who's Daniel's, his God is. So Daniel has been a light in the darkness, and we have the opportunity to do that, way, do that today as well. That's why we've have these lights up in the top of the sanctuary that will be here through Advent and through Christmas. And again, this week, we want to celebrate that already, those of you, and in in coming weeks, we're going to celebrate in other ways on coming Sundays. Those of you who filled 160 shoeboxes plus 54 more through a local school, through a ZPC member, have been a light in the darkness. How have you done that? You say, well, we did it in ordinary ways. We put toys and crayons, maybe a T-shirt, maybe some candy, and we brought them to church, and they're shipped out to a central location where they're going to go around the world. But Samaritan's Purse is going to put in each child's language um, the gospel mes- message on the top of that box. So each child who receives one of those boxes will get out and hear the good news of Jesus Christ. So uh, the lights above show that we too can be the light of Christ. And in future weeks, you can be a light in the darkness as well at Christmas. As David did, as he used the stones, use the ordinary in your life. And as Daniel did, continue to be who you are, remain faithful to God, and be a light in the world this Christmas season. Let us pray. Most loving God, we thank you that you are loving. Lord, that you are loving to people like to David to Daniel, to Billy Graham, and to us. God, to each of us, we are ordinary people, but Lord, in your giftedness, in your love, you made us to be like you. You gave us gifts and abilities, and despite our limitations and flaws, you can use us. Lord, use us this Christmas season. Help us in a humble way to be a light in the dark world, the light of Christ. We do pray in his name. Amen.